Welcome to the Church of the Living God Mount Sterling podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more information about our church, follow us on Facebook by searching for our page, Church of the Living God Mount Sterling. We would love to connect with you, pray with you, and hear what God is doing in your life. Now grab your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. It is an honor to be here. I love the unity that's in this house tonight. Jesus said in John 17 that unity is actually an evidence of his glory. He said he gave us his glory so that we could be one. He said that, that the, the production of unity is actually residue from his glory. So when we gather together as families, as multiple churches in one building, and we say, Lord, come in with your glory, the Lord's response is actually my glory is already there. And it's evidenced by you being together in one. And so when the community looks at Montgomery County High School and says, why are there so many folks packed in there on a Sunday night? And why does the sign say 6 p.m. instead of 1030 a.m.? They say, because God's glory is there. They don't just say because there's multiple churches there. They recognize the glory of God because Jesus said in John 17 that the glory in the unity produces people to recognize him and to know him. The glory that he's put in us and on us is not just for us, but it's for the city of Mount Sterling. It's for the city of Winchester. It's to take back to Loudon Avenue so that those who walk past the building know there must be something going on in there because those folks actually don't look like they would get along with those folks. But for some reason, they do. Some reason, they're hanging out in a, in a building together. There must be something unique in there. And God said, it is unique. It's my glory that I stamp upon my people. And it is a, it is a beacon of hope to the communities around us. So God said, I put my glory on my people so that they can be in oneness. And I haven't just put it upon them, but I put it in them so it can flow through them. I want to take you to the book of Acts tonight. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to try to hurry. I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verse 23 and then 29 through 31 and then we'll pray. And I'm going to go ahead and get started while you flip there. And being let go, this is Peter and John. And being let go, they went to their own company. And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Verse 29. In between there they begin their prayer. Verse 29, and now, Lord, this is the, the conclusion of their prayer. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. I want to preach a message tonight with the help of the Holy Spirit called Filled Again. Filled Again. Father, we thank you for the good seed of the kingdom. Jesus, you told us that the kingdom is good seed. There are no duds in the kingdom. The seed is good. And we prepare the soil of our heart tonight. And we say, plant this good seed into good soil and cover it and fertilize it and water it and tend it and make sure that the seed that is planted tonight produces good fruit for the kingdom. 
Father, I give you this mouth, these lips, these ears. And I pray that through them, Holy Spirit, that these people would hear the word of the Lord. And they would know what you would have to say to them. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're in Acts 4. Let's catch up. Acts 2 has happened. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We know the story. They're in the upper room. The Holy Spirit descends. It falls on the disciples. It falls on the apostles. They run out into the street. and They begin to declare the goodness of God. Thousands are added to the church. And the world is in an instant flipped upside down. In a moment, the Holy Spirit does what man couldn't do in a lifetime. What man couldn't do for the entire Old Testament, the Holy Spirit does in a second. When he falls in the form of fire in the upper room. They spill out of the upper room and they begin to declare the good works of God in the city of Jerusalem. And they begin to do the work of God. Did you know that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not just for chills and goosebumps for us to hang out inside the church house. But the first thing the apostles and disciples did when they were filled with the Holy Spirit is they ran outside of the house. They ran outside of where they were and they took what was in them out to the people. So that what was in them could get in them. So Peter stands up and he begins to declare the word of the Lord. Thousands are added to the church. Flip the page to Acts chapter 3. And if you're just flipping through your Bible, it looks like it's a couple days later. But actually, in, in most theologians will tell you that Acts 3, which leads us into Acts 4. Well, I promise we're getting there. Acts 3, which leads us into Acts 4, was likely a year or more later after Pentecost. The point is, is that, is that Pentecost, Pentecost happens and the apostles and the disciples go outside of the upper room. And they don't go back to the upper room to just hang out. Because, well, the fire just fell, so now let's go back because that's where the fire fell and let's go back out and hang out there. No, the, the, the scripture says at the end of chapter 2 in Acts that the church was being added to day by day. So it wasn't seven days later when Peter and John come to the man at the gate beautiful. It was a year, some theologians will say maybe even six years later that the church was being added to day by day. Day by day, walking with the Holy Spirit. Day by day, proclaiming the good works of God. Day by day, sowing into the soil of Jerusalem. Day by day, standing in a place that looked opposed to everything that they knew and were told. And they're day by day sowing. So Acts 3, Peter and John walk up to a man at the gate. Beautiful. Peter, you know the story. He says, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, you can have it too. Stand up and walk. He stands up and takes off, and that brings us into Acts 4. The rulers in Jerusalem aren't super happy with what's happened. Because it's caused confusion, it's caused chaos. And reminder, this isn't a few days after Pentecost. For years, possibly, the apostles are turning Jerusalem upside down. The disciples are turning Jerusalem upside down. And now they have a credible witness in a real-life miracle walking around that's causing problems for them. Because here's what miracles do. They give physical evidence to the manifest glory of God. Why does God like to move in miracles? It's not just because he likes to show off. It's because the world has a hard time pointing at a paralytic who got out of a wheelchair and saying, I'm sorry, I can't buy into that. They can refute the stories and they can refute your beliefs. But when a man stands up off of a bed where he had never walked before, the world has a real hard time explaining why he's walking where he wasn't walking before. 
I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus in here tonight. So Peter and John get drugged before the Sanhedrin. This is not a light thing. They're standing before the very court that accused and condemned Jesus to death. Not a light thing. The very men who convinced a Roman officer to crucify a man after the Roman officer said, I haven't found any guilt in him. These are powerful men. These are men with influence in the city. And Peter and John are standing before them and Peter gets bold. Peter in the middle of them while they're asking, how did this man walk? He points a finger at the high priest and he says, it's because of the name of Jesus, the man who you crucified. So in boldness, Peter is proclaiming the Sanhedrin and the chief priests don't know what to do with them. Eventually they cut them loose and they say, fine, just go. Go and don't ever teach about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John are like, well, I don't know that we can do that, but thanks for letting us go. And that brings us to our story. That brings us to our story. In verse 23, we see that Peter and John run back to the camp. They run back to the camp of where all of the disciples are gathered. And at this time, the scripture says that there were 5,000 men. That crowd could have been as many as 20,000 people. The church has exploded in years. It has exploded. And Peter and John run back to this crowd and they begin to tell them about what happened. And the prayer that comes out of them reporting what happens is this. Lord, behold their threatenings, verse 29. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. If you're just reading Acts 4, here's what you'll do. You'll read Acts 4.29 and you'll go, they were terrified because of the threatenings. So they ran back to the other disciples and they said, they've threatened us, so we have to pray for boldness. Here's my problem with that. Peter stood in front of the men who crucified the one who he loved. He stood in front of the men who he knew condemned Jesus to death. He was in the high priest's court when they, cru- when they condemned Jesus. Peter knew these men and knew what they were possible. And he still pointed a finger at them and said, It was Jesus who you crucified. And then they threatened them and tell them, Don't ever do it again. And Acts 4.29 says, They run back to the disciples and they begin to pray, Lord, behold their threatenings. What am I trying to say? I want to offer to you tonight that Peter and John did not run back and say, Behold their threatenings, Lord, because they were terrified. I want to offer to you tonight that Peter and John said, behold their threatenings because they recognized opportunity that was coming. Because they recognized that a door was opening. Because they recognized that what the Lord had been telling them was going to happen is now starting to happen. And they are, giving, they are being given an entry into more opportunity to display the glory of God. I don't think Peter and John ran back terrified. Because if they were going to be terrified, it was when they were standing before their face. Not when they were blocks away or miles away or however far away the camp was. In fact, earlier in the story, in verse 13 of Acts 4, it says that when the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So Peter and John run back and say, they have threatened us, so we've got to pray for all boldness. And yet, in the high priest's court, it was the high priest who looked at them and said, they have such boldness that it causes us to marvel. 
They already have boldness to the level that it causes us to stand in awe and wonder. This is the same marvel that Jesus would marvel with at the faith of a centurion. When he said, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere before. So Peter and John, who already have boldness that cause these mighty men to marvel, run back and say, there are threatenings. We need all boldness. We have boldness, but we need All boldness. There's a principle in the kingdom. That to those who have, more is given. That to those who who do well with what they have been given, more is entrusted to them. And Peter and John run back to the crowd, I would submit to you. And they don't say, we've got to cower and hide because they're threatening to beat us. Because a chapter later they would rejoice in beating. I want to submit to you tonight that they recognize the threats. And they say, we have done well with what we were given, but now more is required of us. In the parable of the talents and in the minas, Jesus plainly told us, to those who have, more is given. And from those who do worse, for those who do not handle what they've been given well, it's taken away from them. And Peter and John have stood in a moment where they recognize we had something in our hand that he had given to us. A word, an opportunity, a chance. And we've we've stewarded it well. And that means that more is headed our way. More opportunity is headed our way. And we're not going to look at it in a, in a cowering way. We're going to look at it in an opportunity. Because we have done well with what he gave us. Which means more is coming our way. But if more opportunity is coming, then we need more boldness. Because the boldness of yesterday won't carry me into the opportunity of tomorrow. The boldness of yesterday was good enough for yesterday's opportunity. But to step into the more responsibility that I have, I have to have more boldness. I have to have more of him to step into what he's given us. Did you know in the parable of the minas that those who do well with the minas are actually given cities to be responsible over? A mina is a weight. That's the Greek word. It's a weight. Those who carry the weight of responsibility well get to rule over cities. If we carry the weight well that he has given us, we get to rule over cities. And it's not to stand on the mountaintop and to point down and say, do this and don't do that. It's to be the leaven that's mixed into the society that says, how can I serve you here? And how can I help you here? And what can I do for you here? But it only comes to those who recognize That my victories of yesterday are only to lead me into my opportunities of tomorrow. Because I can choose to level off. I can choose to say this is enough for me. And he is gracious enough that he won't put me in an opportunity that I haven't been. That I haven't been prepared to step into. He's. Loving enough as a father that he won't let me walk into an opportunity that's going to blindside me. But he opens the door of opportunity. And he says, I'm so proud of you for telling the person at the lunch table about how church went this weekend. But that is not where I've called you to level off. That is a start. That is a door, a foot in the door. But now that is supposed to lead you into more. 
Because that is a, a display of the kingdom. That is telling and testifying of the goodness of Jesus. But he has offered us the opportunity to never level off. Because 2 Corinthians 3 says we go from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory as we stare into his glory. And I have a feeling there's no limit on the level of his glory. But if I choose to be okay with all that I have, then I'll never step into new opportunities. And here's the danger of it. I'll never recognize that I'm, not, that I'm wasting potential opportunities. Because of his goodness, I'll never come to the doorway of those opportunities. I'll never come to the doorway of those opportunities. Because his love is so gracious that he doesn't want me to reach for an unlock, uh, a locked door. He doesn't want me to reach for a locked door. So he will actually hide those opportunities from me that I'm not ready for. If I have not allowed him to prepare me to step into those things. So Peter and John, who have such boldness that it causes the men to marvel, run back and say, we need more. We need more. We saw the man healed at the gate beautiful. We stood in front of the Sanhedrin and testified. We stood in front of the high priest and testified. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. But we need more. They go on. In verse 30. He says, by stretching forth thy hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done. By the name of thy holy child Jesus. This is how they got into the mess in the first place. Through Jesus showing up and healing somebody. I know we like to start Acts in the second chapter, and I do the same thing. But there is a really important conversation that Jesus has with his apostles and his disciples in Acts 1. In Acts 1, the Bible says that by the Holy Spirit, Jesus, after his resurrection, is teaching them about the kingdom. And it says that as he's teaching them about the kingdom, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait on the promise. Wait on the promise of the Father and don't leave until you get it. And the immediate reaction of the disciples is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He spent three and a half years on planet earth teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. And then 40 days after his resurrection in bodily form, teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. And as soon as he says, go wait on the promise, they say, this is it. Here comes Israel. And his response is interesting. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But, but, why does he say but there? Because he's continuing a thought. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What is Jesus saying? There is a restoration happening. There is a kingdom that's being restored. Unfortunately, it's not the kingdom that you're thinking of. Get your mind off of Israel for a moment. But there is a kingdom that's being restored. And here's how the kingdom is being restored. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power. And this is the restoration of the kingdom. The Bible, that when Jesus says wait for the promise of the Father. The Greek word actually means announcement. The dissension and filling of the Holy Spirit is the announcement of the kingdom of heaven. When the Holy Spirit shows up and does what only He can do, it is the announcement that heaven is near. 
It is the announcement that heaven is near. That's why Jesus would cast out a demon and say, If I cast out a demon by the finger of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near you. He would send out the 72 in Luke 10 and he would say, Go, healing the sick and tell them the kingdom of heaven has come near you. Because the Holy Spirit is the announcement of heaven's arrival. And in Acts 1, Jesus said, this is how we restore heaven on earth. By you being filled with power. And that power is yes, for miracles, signs, and wonders. It is for the healing of the man who is lame. It is for the cancer being dissolved out of a body that doctors could not cure. But the power is also for long-suffering. Colossians 1 says... Be filled with the power for all long-suffering and endurance. The power of the Holy Spirit that shows up and heals a lame man off of his bed is the kingdom of heaven coming near. But so too is a mom who keeps interceding for her kids that just won't come home. So too... So too is the grandmother who wears out the spot of carpet next to her bed because she's got grandkids that have forgotten about the Bible stories that she read them when they were babies. So too is the endurance of the saints being manifest in the earth. And as much as I love the healings and the miracles and the signs and the wonders, we cannot ignore the enduring power of the Holy Spirit. Because your endurance testifies to those around you. There are those at work who will see you endure when hell is raining down on top of you. Who will say, surely God is with them. Surely God is with them. Because I watch them come in day after day after day after day. Should be beat down and worn out. And there's a smile still on your face. And you still get up and go to church every Sunday morning. How do you do it? Because it is the power being manifest of the Holy Spirit. And it is the announcement that heaven is near. That heaven is near. Not just that he's good. Thank God for that. But heaven is near. And when heaven comes near, all that is not of heaven bows. All that is not of him bows. When we create a throne for him, there was a word in Winchester not long ago. There's a picture of the throne room in Revelation 5. After the lamb takes his seat on the throne. And everything in heaven bows down before the throne. Everything in heaven falls on its face and cries out, Holy and worthy is the Lamb to receive all power and might and glory and honor. And the Word says, This is what happens when you create a throne for me in your place. In the same way that there everything bows down to me, here everything bows down to me when I'm seated on the throne. And when we give heaven a chance to invade, When we give heaven an opportunity to announce itself. To announce itself. He is seated on the throne. And everything that is not of him bows. So they recognize. That not only is there an opportunity. But the opportunity was open because heaven came near. And if more opportunity is going to come. It will be because heaven comes near. It will not be because of their dedication. It will not be because of their Bible reading. It will not be because they've walked the floors enough time. It will be because heaven comes near. That's how the opportunity for the kingdom works. 
when heaven comes near. They say, stretch forth thy hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done. In the name of thy holy child Jesus. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. These were some of the men who walked with him. These were some of the men who he entrusted. Who he breathed on and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And these men said, we need more. And after these men prayed, they were filled again. We have, we have relegated the filling of the Holy Ghost to new converts and to people that are struggling with sin. And we have said, here's when you get to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you walk in the door for the first time and when you're tripping over your own feet and over your own sin. But the men who walked with him, the men who saw him, the men, one of the men who stood at the foot of the cross and took the mothering of his own mother said, I need more. I need more. And if Peter needed more, then I need more. If John needed more, then I need more. My Bible reading is not enough when I walk through those doors. Thank God for the scripture that I have memorized because it is a weapon and it is a sword in my hand. But I need him to show up. Because when a coworker comes to me and says, my husband and I just aren't able to work it out and we've been fighting for years and I think our marriage is going to end. I don't have a scripture to fix it. But if heaven will walk in, heaven can make it right. Heaven can fix it. When I'm walking through Walmart and I'm moved with compassion because a little girl is sick and I can tell that there's something not right in her body. I can quote the scripture till I'm blue in the face and it won't move an inch if heaven doesn't step into the moment. But I have to be filled with heaven. I have to be full of him. And he makes room for more of himself when I invite him in. I don't know how he does it, but somehow he does. I don't know if he expands the container or empties the container. I don't know what he does. But somehow he takes me and fills me again. And the very men who watched a lame man get up off his bed and walk said, I need more. I have to have more. If I'm going to be anything for him, I have to have more. And when they were filled... With the Holy Ghost. They spake the word of God with boldness. In the Greek, this word would actually be better translated. They began to speak. They began to speak. So here's the picture. They stood in front of the high priest and they spoke with boldness. They run back and they say, we need more boldness, even though we already had boldness. They pray, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And now they begin to speak with boldness. What's the scripture saying? The scripture saying there was a boldness that was now available to them that was not previously available. There's a boldness that they tapped into that they hadn't tapped into before. There's a source that they're now operating out of that they weren't operating out of before. Somehow they've been brought into a new level of him that they didn't even know existed before. And now when they were operating in boldness that awed the high priest and caused them to marvel and wonder. 
That word means to wonder. They stood in wonder at the boldness that they had. Now they're beginning to speak in boldness. Now they're beginning to speak in boldness because they have said, I need a fresh drink. I need a fresh infilling. Because yesterday's drink isn't going to do it. Yesterday's drink isn't going to get me through. It's not going to supply me to get me to where he needs me to be. Jesus talked about this. In John 4, he talks about, in John 4 and in John 7. In John 4, he's sitting with a woman at a well. And he says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. You likely know the story. And he says that that drink would turn into a well springing up into everlasting life. And actually in the King James, it says, drinketh. Our old good King James would tell us that drinketh means drink and drink and drink and drink. Bad news is wrong. The Greek in John 4 actually means to drink once. Why? Because Jesus is talking about salvation. You don't have to get saved over and over again. You don't have to go back to the well of salvation time and time and time and time again. Well, you don't know what I... I don't care. He said you drink once from the well of salvation. And it turns into a well springing up into everlasting life. You may repent a billion times between now and tomorrow morning. But you don't have to drink of the well of salvation again. It's a one-time drink. I don't care how many ETHs King James puts on it. It's a one-time drink for salvation. But in John 7, when Jesus stands up in the middle of a feast and says, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever comes to me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And just to make sure we knew what he was talking about, John said, Thus he spake of the Holy Ghost, which they were to receive. That word is drink in the King James. But the Greek means to drink and to drink and to drink and to drink and to drink. It is a continual, perpetual, repeated action. Why? Because where salvation is a one-time drink, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a drink that was meant to occur daily, momentarily, hourly. Every time I get an opportunity to run back to the well where He can fill me again so I can step into new opportunities. Because if I'm going to walk into the new opportunities that He's got for me, I have to have more of Him. John 7 says that rivers of living water shall flow from your belly. I think that means that when one river gets filled up, he just builds a new one. And there's another river now flowing inside of me. Meant to flow through me and out of me. So that I can impact Mount Sterling. So that I can impact Richmond where I live. And Winchester where I go to church. And Lexington when I go visit. And Lexington when I go to work. So that everywhere I go, I am full of Him. And it spews out of me. But it takes continual drinking. We cannot push aside the filling of the Holy Spirit and say, What I got when I was seven years old in a little brick church house is enough to get me through tomorrow. Because I'll never make it. I'll never make it. But if we continually run back to the source continually drink from Him, then we will continually be filled to continually be poured out. Stand with me tonight. 